we're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. Yeah, the less we eat, the less violence is being done and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Voices Radio Show, Western Canada's only radio program on animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM Co-op Radio CFRO on unceded Coast Salish territories in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Today is Friday, September 25th. I am your host, Allison Cole, and I am joined here today by our guest co-host, Jen Dobell. Hello, good to be back. Welcome to the show. As our listeners may or may not know, it is already upon us. That is the Vancouver International Film Festival season. And this year, as with all events running because of our pandemic, VIF has really stepped it up to offer the majority of their film presentations online. The Film Fest has just commenced yesterday and goes until October the 7th. And as usual, there are some animal-related themed films that we'll be reviewing as part of the festival. So for our first segment today, we'll be reviewing the film Wolf Walk, which is by French director Jean-Michel Bertrand. Also, it's September now, and what that means for children and youth these days is that it's back to school time. Of course, again, this year is different than others in that parents are homeschooling their kids more and more this season. So I very recently found out about a wonderful and thorough and diverse array of resources that the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals has been running. The program is called Teach Kind and provides all kinds of free resources and lessons from K-12 to on teaching compassion towards animals, starting at a young age and going until youth. Program Manager of Teach Kind, Lisbeth Chiraboga, will be joining us later on the show to tell us more about the program, its lesson plans, and why humane education for children is now even more important than ever. That interview is coming up in about 27 minutes, so please do stay tuned. Now, Jen Dobell here is a 100% always turned on animal activist. And I know that, Jen, you go out of your way to help both humans and animals on a daily basis. And recently, you took the big initiative to help out a cat in need by taking him into your home. You, in fact, have rescued the kitty, now named Wilbur, from deplorable conditions. And I would love for you to share this rescue story with our listeners So first, if you could just start with how did this all happen? Well, for those who are not vegan or who are not involved in animal rights activism, they may not be aware of this. But once you sort of get involved in this stuff, you start to get almost weekly messages about animals in distress. And there's usually a very desperate timeline in order to rescue them before whoever owns them. I hate to use the term own, but in these cases, they are acting like these animals are property and they own them uh, before that person is going to put them to death or, or something. So all summer has been dominated by situations like this. And this time it happened to be a cat. And in most cases, the SPCA is not helpful in, in these situations. And so we activists end up having to take matters into our own hands and get creative with ways to 
obtain the animals and get them to a safer a safer place they can live forever homes and it's stressful and and I'm tired of it and I wish people who were going to abuse and neglect animals would just not get them in the first place because it creates a lot of work and stress and financial stress for all of us and it's it's constant so in this case I had friends of friends let me know that there was somebody who was a tenant in a house in Vancouver and in the garage of that house the owners of the home had a cat living in a cage in a garage and um, this is a garage that is sort of a laneway, not attached to the house. So I would imagine it wasn't even heated. And apparently the cat had been living there for over three years, visited once per day by the owners to give him food. Apparently he didn't have water in his cage and his litter box didn't have any litter. So he's covered in urine. Didn't know how to use a litter box when I got him. So anyway, the the new tenant in the home actually convinced the owner to give him up for adoption to me. And so I wasn't planning on keeping him, but he has so many health issues that I feel I need to keep him. He's had a lot of vet visits. He's costing a lot of money, kidney failure, heart failure, abscessed tooth, gingivitis muscle atrophy from living in a cage. When I first got him, he couldn't uh, jump and now he's jumping quite high heights. I'm kind of giving him some rehab. I'm a massage therapist, so I'm able to help him out in that way and it's working quite well. He's currently sitting in front of me purring like a little motor. He's very happy, but I don't know how much life he has left in him and he was given very poor quality food, no name brand food, which he couldn't even swallow or he couldn't chew. He's He was swallowing it whole. And anyone who cares about an animal would have noticed that it's just given him soft food. But obviously these people were not that caring. So uh, it, it just really frustrates me that the amount of times that I have to deal with people who got animals for who knows what reason and then treat them this way. It's Well, you know, a lot of people won't go out of their way to to actually take it upon themselves to rescue and rehabilitate an animal who is in need, which you are doing yourself. I know you're a cat person as well, so you know actually how to take care of a cat, which I wouldn't. So I, I commend you on that. And I'm just wondering, you mentioned about some of the very serious health conditions he has. What are the plans now for for helping him with these situations? As you said, he's been going to the vet a lot. Yes. So he's got some medication for the kidney failure. He had an echocardiogram yesterday. I got the results today. It's not certain yet whether or not he is able to be put under anesthetic for the surgery that he needs to have his teeth cleaned, the gingivitis dealt with, and his tooth pulled because of his heart condition. And so I have to talk to the vet about that tomorrow. The anesthetic that he would be able to have is limited. There's different types. And it, it puts him at a higher risk during surgery. And it would just break my heart if he had that surgery that he needs and it, it ended his life, his, his life that's been horrible up until now. So I actually bought him a stroller. I'm, I'm now one of those silly people with a cat and a stroller because I just want to make up for, <laughs> I, it's not silly. I just feel silly. I want to make up for all the time he's had in the cage. And I, I really do hope that he can have this surgery that he needs and that he lives through it. And I'm just so upset that somebody treated him this way. He's beautiful and sweet and cuddly. And why would someone not just give him up if they didn't want him instead of treating him this way? I can't imagine. Imagine during fireworks and cold winter nights, he was in that cage in a garage alone in probably an unheated garage. How frightening. 
So I hope that a lesson or a message that our listeners will take from this is that they can do this type of rescue work as well. And can you just give some advice for people who this might be really out of someone's comfort zone? What advice do you have Call for someone you know who's an activist before you do anything <laughs> else? I wouldn't I'm not kidding. Well, I just want to say that if you don't identify as an animal activist or an animal rescuer, this is the time for you to step up and be empowered in such a role like that. And I hope that people are inspired by your story, Jen, because really you're just a person who cares about animals and you get things done as well. And if people were to take more initiative when they see an animal suffering as a good Samaritan, that is our duty in this world is we can't let animals suffer and we must do something if we see suffering happening and harm to animals happening, just like we would if we saw, I guess, a baby human being beaten. Well, what if the same is happening to a cat or a dog? You have to step up and you have to protect that individual. So be resourceful, ask for help, and do whatever it takes to get an animal out of harm. I would contact Animal Voices Radio if you ever hear of anything. Mark that down in your phone yeah. and keep that contact there. Yeah, and we do get messages on our Facebook sometimes. So, and we we pass those on or give advice accordingly. That's Animal Voices Vancouver. Well, thank you for sharing your story today, Jen. And I just wanted to mention as well that you're obviously you're having a lot of vet costs, and you have a GoFundMe fundraiser online that if people are inspired by this story, they can go on there and simply make a donation towards the vet costs and we will post a link yeah we have a link to that posted on our website i'll put it again on our facebook page as well can i just say one thing um thank you so much to everyone who's donated i've been given about seventeen hundred dollars worth now from my community and friends and i don't know what i would do without them i am at risk of being locked down again from my job because of covid i was locked out of my job for three months this is the last thing I can afford right now. And I don't know what I would do without the kindness of my friends and the animal rights community. Thank you all so much. Exactly. And yeah, especially if you can't go out and rescue an animal yourself, you can definitely contribute by contributing to fundraisers such as these. And, you know, they're not hard to find on Facebook, but this one is posted on our Facebook page. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks, Jen. The Downtown Eastside Women's Center has been helping self-identified women and their children for decades, but today, the DEWC needs your help. Due to the COVID-19 crisis, the center has had to cancel its annual in-person fundraisers, depriving the center of crucial financial resources. Services such as hot meals, clothing, showers, and secure mailboxes are now in jeopardy. To find out how you can help the Downtown Eastside Women's Center, please visit their website at dewc.ca. That's dewc.ca. This is your big chance, so don't blow it. We're here to present the cutting-edge radio you want to hear. What about a program featuring just local Vancouver bands? No market for that. We have an expert on gospel music. No. Our public affairs programs dig deep with voices other stations won't touch. No. Programs with First Nations hosts? Sorry, no market for that. We've got a lot of shows in other languages for people all over the world. Folk music? (laughs) 
You're kidding, right? Who would sponsor that? Can't make big bucks with programs people want to hear? You have to go to Co-op Radio for that. Community-owned radio. Now at 100.5 FM. The switch is on. The Vancouver International Film Festival is upon us now. It started yesterday and it goes until October the 7th. And it's mostly all online this year, so you can watch dozens of films from the comfort of your home. And there are, as always, some animal-related films in this year's lineup. The one that I just watched yesterday is called Wolf Walk, which is known in France as Marche avec les loups. And it's a film from French filmmaker. Jean-Michel Bertrand, who is known for his previous film, The Valley of the Wolves, that was shown at the festival in 2017. So the setting of this film, Wolf Walk, is in the French Alps, and it takes place through several seasons as Jean-Michel takes it upon himself to follow and document some young male wolves as they break off from their pack, with the aim of finding their own territories and eventually finding mates. So that's how it works in wolf culture. I learned that from this film, actually. The babies are born in the warm weather and they stay with their parents in the pack for a year. And then they must leave the next year to make room for the new offspring that has just been born for that year. Jean-Michel is obviously very knowledgeable about wolves and wildlife and he takes us through his journey in setting up cameras in various locations that immediately ping on his phone when there is activity to be seen on the cameras. He's looking for which way the wolves are going, but we also come across many other animals who live in the Alps, such as beavers, badgers, deer, foxes, and more. This is a great wildlife viewing film on its own for those who love nature films. But this film isn't just about following and watching beautiful animals in the wild. This film also brings up relevant animal rights themes with regards to wolf populations. And I was somewhat surprised to see the exact parallels between what authorities think of wolves in France as being pests and how they are often viewed here in BC and Alberta. Canada as pests as well who threaten the populations of other animals and thus there are government sanctioned programs to kill and depopulate them. So the filmmaker explains this as being called the war with wolves there in France with the humans trying to eradicate the wolves because they believe that the wolves are killing all the wild game. His words. But we do see a lot of wildlife in the film and Jean-Michel says that contrary to what is being said there are a lot of wild hoofed mammals in the area. He says how can the idea still be believed that wolves eliminate wild game when the damage made by man to nature can be seen? How can we imagine for a moment that the wolf is responsible for the disappearance of some species? And he explains what we already know here at Animal Voices because it's the same here in Canada, that when some species are killed, nature's balance is preserved because the survival of the wolves depend upon it. That is to say that it's been proven that when wolves are called either here in Canada or in France, they breed extra so that they can repopulate their numbers. He also mentions that around 600,000 foxes are killed every year in France, so they, as a species, regulate themselves as well, and they can repopulate their numbers. 
So what is the moral of the story of all this? I think a good takeaway is that we as humans can reflect upon our prejudices towards other beings and take a more profound look as to who these beings really are as we have the opportunity to observe them in their natural lives in this film. And I thank the filmmaker for sharing with us such beautiful and meaningful images of the life of these wolves. Now in the film, Jean-Michel also speaks about the common characterization of wolves that goes back to medieval times as they've been demonized for centuries. He says this is due to posturing, lack of curiosity on the part of humans, and plain ignorance. So once again, we must take it upon ourselves to pull back those layers from centuries past and to really look at these creatures with open and innocent eyes. I do appreciate that he brought this up because it does carry over to Canada as well, I believe, and I hope that all viewers of this film will be able to grow an affinity for wolves if they don't have one already. To be able to observe and appreciate a wild species of animal for what it is, life is meaningful to all, right? Whether you're a human or a cow or a beetle or a wolf. The Vancouver International Film Festival has just started and goes until October the 7th, as I mentioned before. It's all mostly online this year with dozens of movies to be seen from the comfort of your home. There is a series of talks as well. I will be doing a review of the film called My Donkey, My Lover and I for next week's show, so you can make sure to tune into that. And our writer, Asami Hitohara, will be posting some written reviews of the films Kala Azar and The New Corporation, The Unfortunately Necessary Sequel. So you can look out for those as well on our website at animalvoices.org and go to vif.org, that's V-I-F-F, to find out all about the festival, which films are playing, and to buy your virtual movie tickets there. And we have some new stories. The COVID-19 virus can survive in chicken, salmon, and pork for up to 21 days, according to a preliminary research conducted in Ireland and Singapore. Slaughterhouses worldwide have become hotspots for the spread of virus due in large part to the nature of the shoulder-to-shoulder work required to dismember animals and pack their parts for consumption. Researchers in this study advise that the virus's survival rate on imported meat handled by workers who are potentially COVID-19 positive could be responsible for the secondary outbreaks of COVID-19 in areas where the virus seemed to have been eradicated. Recent outbreaks have emerged in Vietnam, New Zealand, and parts of China where there had been no cases for some months, the researchers wrote. Importation of contaminated food and food packaging is a feasible source for such outbreaks and a source of clusters within existing outbreaks. This should alert food safety competent authorities and the food industry of a new normal environment where this virus is posing a non-traditional food safety risk. As of September 11th, there have been at least 39,000 positive COVID-19 cases tied to meatpacking facilities in the United States alone. At least 417 plants and at least 184 workers have died as a result of the virus in 27 states, according to data from the Midwest Center for Investigative Reporting. And so what is our message always on this show, Allison? Just go vegan. Go vegan. 
zoonotic diseases to prevent antibiotic resistance, which has actually almost taken the life of four of my loved ones. We've done shows on this before. People need to look this up. It's not being talked about. Antibiotic resistance is much scarier than COVID-19, and it is also related to our consumption of animal products. Yes, and I just wanted to say, if you don't know what a zoonotic disease is, well, I guess you haven't been listening to the show lately. We did a show that was dedicated to learning about the links between animal-borne diseases, which are then passed on to humans. Those are called zoonotic diseases, and you can find a link to that specific show that we did in April, just when the pandemic was starting at animalvoices.org. Our podcast is there. This is a super important issue. And, you know, if everyone went vegan, I think we'd have a lot, a lot less worry on our hands. And just for you just to say 39,000 U.S. cases that are directly linked Tied to meatpacking facilities in the states yeah yeah that's just yeah i don't understand why the u.s government and our canadian government deem meatpacking plants to be essential services or businesses they aren't it's up to us to change the world and supply and demand is something that we need to consider and so the more people change their habits the more we're going to be seeing a better world i think and it's happening it's just a bit too slow so we need all those silent vegans out there to get a little bit more preachy like you and me. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Another new story, a new scientific report on cow's milk for consumption, health and athletic performance says the science is clear. Dairy does a body bad. Published by nonprofit health organization Switch for Good, founded by someone you've had on the show yeah, before. Yeah, Dotsie Bausch. We had her on the show to speak about it. <laughs> Dotsie yeah. is an Olympic silver medalist in the 2012 Olympics for cycling. She's amazing. Yeah, oldest person to ever have received an Olympic medal, and she's vegan. So if you want to know more about it, look up the report called Dairy Does a Body Bad and Switch for Good. You can also check that out. I will be posting that on our Facebook page as well, Animal Voices Vancouver. And if you want to know about the dairy industry's practices, you can watch a five-minute video made by my dear friend, Erin. It's called Dairy is Scary. And when you watch this, know that these practices happen on even what you may think of as humane, certified, grass-fed, local, all the buzzwords, all the lies, farms. Yeah, that's a great little short video. When I'm trying to speak to someone about dairy and they might ask you, well, what's wrong with dairy? And I say, well, can you watch a six minute video? It'll explain everything. I always pass on that video when I want to get the message across very succinctly and clearly about dairy. Yes, I mention it to people who are walking out of the grocery store with jugs of milk in their hands. And uh, I mention it to people who are pondering what ice cream to buy in the ice cream aisle. Actually, just last week, I convinced a couple to put back their dairy ice cream and get the non-dairy one instead. And they promised to go home and watch Dairy is Scary after I had explained all of the practices to them. They had these horrified looks on their faces. And, and then, you know, one of them still didn't want to get the non-dairy ice cream. And I said, but I just told you all those things and you look so horrified, right? And you love animals, right? And she went, yeah, okay. I said, you know, you're going to love that ice cream. It tastes the same. I promise you, you're going to love it. It's an easy switch. Well, thanks for switching her out of her cognitive dissonance. That's a big mm. feat to just 
do in the grocery store. I also have grocery store frozen section aisle conversations with people to let them know, well, I'm usually looking at the non-dairy section trying to think of which one I should choose. And, and yeah, I've had some conversations for sure when other people are like sort of looking in that area and I'll go, oh, that one's really good. Have you tried it? Or this one? And then I might get into, and it's cruelty free. No animals were harmed. Because I think people still really, they don't understand that dairy is actually, has a lot of cruelty in it. But when you say, when you actually mention, oh, it's cruelty free, I do see sometimes like people kind of give me a look, like maybe of surprise, but there I Mm. said it and now it's out in the open that, yeah, some, some foods promote cruelty and other ones demote it <laughs> so and I just want to give a shout out to my mom Beverly Dobell who has become vegan and in her own little way she preaches she brings vegan ice cream to my brother and sister's house when she goes there for dinner all the time and they're very resistant to veganism but they love it especially my brother and his kids and one of his girls actually doesn't really want to have dairy milk anymore so there's almond milk in the fridge now I've heard which is great so good job Beverly Dobell thank you for doing what you can to veganize the family. The Wilderness Committee is raising awareness about BC's caribou at risk. The BC government is selling off some old growth forest, which is an hour and a half north of Revelstoke and home to an endangered 150 member group of the North Columbia herd of caribou. We're going to listen to a video clip made by the Wilderness Committee right now, and you can find out more information on their website. And their website is wildernesscommittee.org. Nowadays, the only time you're likely to see a caribou is on a quarter, and that includes people who study species at risk. This animal was once so plentiful that it numbered in the millions, spanning the breadth of Canada. The forest that I'm standing in is part of the Argonaut Creek drainage, and it's about an hour and a half north of Revelstoke. This forest is home to an endangered herd of southern mountain caribou, but it's one of the strongest herds in BC with 150 members. But the forest that I'm standing in and this old growth beautiful habitat is about to be auctioned off by the BC government's own logging agency called BC Timber Sales or BCTS. And we're here to stop that from happening. BC Timber Sales is trying to auction off this old growth forest, even though it's an identified critical habitat of the endangered North Columbia caribou herd. And not only is it in federally mapped critical habitat, but this drainage is speckled with caribou telemetry data, which suggests caribou use this area. As you can see behind me, BC Timber Sales has already built a road into old growth forest. The North Columbia herd is known to spend upwards of 50% of the year in low elevation habitat many areas of which are unprotected from logging and other forms of resource extraction. My question is, if the BC government's own logging agency supports logging in critical habitat, how do we expect private corporations to do any better for species at risk? This summer, the BC government announced funding to help restore caribou habitat. And specifically within this area, they committed $33,000 to help recover and restore this habitat, which is amazing work and really needs to be done. 
But while the back of the drainage is actively being restored, on the front of the drainage, just a few kilometers away, the BC government is punching in a new road into critical habitat for caribou, and they're planning to log that old growth forest. This is one of the most ill-advised, counterproductive, and bizarre strategies I've ever heard of. Because while the government is actively restoring habitat on one side, they're sabotaging caribou on the other by destroying the habitat that they rely on. Mountain caribou are a keystone species that require large tracts of intact and connected habitat for their survival. In 2014, the Federal Wildlife Advisory Panel listed the central mountain population and the southern mountain population as endangered. And this was a direct result of a threat from resource extraction, including logging, mining, oil and gas, and the building of forest service roads. The trees here are ancient old growth forest, and they're what caribou rely on for survival, for food, for shelter, and for protection from predators. Caribou rely heavily on lichen that grows only on old growth trees. These low elevation forests are ecologically significant and irreplaceable. The past decades of industrial activity, habitat loss, habitat destruction, and pollution have hit wildlife hard to say the least. It's the reason that over one million wildlife species are facing extinction if we don't take drastic action now. Caribou are one of those species. In Canada, caribou could be one of the first species that we lose forever. And how we deal with caribou today will set a precedent for how we deal with future species facing extinction. This incredible forest and other habitats like it contain within them a future for caribou. And this habitat and old growth forest is worth so much more standing. In the Peace Valley region of BC, West Moberly and Soto First Nations are leading the way in caribou recovery. They've implemented a project that actually protects habitat. They've shown us what it takes to save caribou and what we can and must do to save these herds. We need your help today. Tell the BC government to leave the Argonaut Creek drainage intact. Tell them to cancel the auction of these cup blocks and protect the habitat of the North Columbia caribou herd. You are listening to Animal Voices on Vancouver's Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM CFRO. 100% listener-sponsored radio broadcasting live from the east side on unceded Coast Salish territories. Our feature interview today is with Lisbeth Chiraboga, who is a humane educator and the program manager of TeachKind, a program by the international nonprofit organization People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, or PETA. TeachKind is a program run by former classroom teachers here to help schools, educators, and parents promote compassion for animals through free lessons, virtual classroom presentations, materials, advice, online resources, and more. As the program manager, Lisbeth works directly with thousands of educators nationwide who want to make a difference for animals. She creates comprehensive lesson plans and other educational materials, visits schools to conduct teacher workshops and classroom presentations, and has helped TeachKind forge partnerships with educational resources such as Discovery Education, the Humane Education Coalition, and Sounds First Reading System.
In this day now, where it's back to school for students, but many parents are keeping their kids behind to teach them from home, the Teach Kind program resources may be of particular interest to parents. Lizbeth is here today to speak to us about humane education for your children, whether it's at the school or at home. Hello, Lizbeth, and welcome to the Animal Voices Show. Hi, Allison. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today to tell us more about PETA's Teach Kind program. This is a particularly meaningful time to let parents know about this free program and its resources in a period where kids are staying home now more from school and parents can infuse their own ideas for teaching important life skills to their children, such as animal compassion. Can you tell us more about the Teach Kind program, what humane education is, and why this program was implemented? Sure. So Teach Kind is the humane education division at PETA. And as you mentioned, we're former classroom teachers. And we work with teachers, schools, homeschoolers, and nowadays more and more parents who are trying to keep their children engaged in a virtual learning environment. We create lessons and materials that simultaneously foster compassion for all beings and help kids develop academic skills as well. We don't believe that these two things are mutually exclusive. Now, in terms of humane education, it's a way of teaching that fosters cognitive and behavioral growth, as well as more empathy, as this relates to humans, animals, the planet, and the intersections among them. So educators of all kinds can look at their curriculum through what we like to call a humane lens and find opportunities to foster compassion for all living beings. Now, Teach Kind has been around for about 15 years, and it was created in response to a need we saw. Educators were contacting PETA looking for ways to help children develop more compassion. Bullying and violence by young people is happening at alarming rates, and Teach Kind is PETA's response to that. Well, that's fantastic. I didn't know it had been around for 15 years, right in a time when we really need it as well. And children at different ages, they all come with different levels of absorbing information and then progressing with that information and education into their subsequent years of learning. As a teacher yourself, can you speak about the different levels of teaching kids about respect and compassion for animals from a young age until young adulthood? So if you could take us through what the learning curve would be like when this type of intentional education is given to first young kids and then moving upwards to youth? Sure, absolutely. So we need to take into consideration the developmental level of a child. So for example, for kids 12 and under, we focus on building a foundation of knowledge about other animals that specifically includes understanding their needs and wants, and that they are individuals with families and friends, just like humans. So if you build that foundation, then young people will know when they see hens in battery cages with no room to even spread their wings and no place to dust bathe, they'll know that this is cruelty. They'll know when they see dogs chained outside 24-7 that this is cruelty too, and they'll be more inclined to take action. PETA just released a film called Breaking the Chain that demonstrates the need to build this foundational knowledge in children. It shows the work of our amazing PETA field workers who day in and day out, go to rural parts of North Carolina and Virginia to help animals who are kept chained and confined. And this occurs mostly because it's what people learned at a young age is acceptable. So we're working hard to change that mindset so children understand 
that chaining and confining are cruel and grow up to be the ones to break that cycle of cruelty. So at this level, we don't include graphic images. And not only do we have lessons on teachkind.org for this age level, parents can also have their child go on petakids.com to do research about animals with kid-friendly content. They can read online comics and play animal-friendly games there too. Now for kids 13 and up, we offer thought-provoking content that really engages kids. And they enjoy the real world issues discussed like animal experimentation and veganism, especially topics like animal agriculture's impact on climate change that don't normally get covered in school. And uh, we call those the pages missing from your textbook topics. Mm -hmm. And some more examples, we have lessons on media literacy, how to conduct a book club with Ingrid Newkirk's new book, Animal Kind, and teaching with films like Game Changers. So I wonder if you can take us through some of the examples of the actual lesson plans that TeachKind offers from K to 12 on this topic of teaching compassion and respect for animals. I was looking at the the TeachKind website last night, for example, and it was showing different levels of lesson plans that you would teach children of varying ages about marine animals in captivity, for example. Not to specifically speak of that one, but if you could give some examples of some of the lesson plans that parents could teach their kids. Sure. So yes, so as you mentioned, we offer a variety of free resources uh, to teach students in grades K to 12, and it's to teach them how easy and rewarding it can be to help animals in need. So for example, one of our signature programs, um, our empathy building program called Share the World for grades K to five, this is a step-by-step guide on how to teach kindness to animals, and it includes a video with inspiring animal footage, reading and writing activities, and it has a strong anti-bullying message as well. The activities included in the program show children that the golden rule of treating others the way you wish to be treated applies to all living beings, not just humans. Now, one of my favorite resources that we offer is our Rescue Stories Comprehension Worksheets. This is a great activity for all grade levels from K to 12. We've created student texts for different grade levels based on true stories about some of the many animals PETA has rescued like a puppy named Christmas who was rescued from a remote island in the Philippines where she was found covered with lice and infected open wounds, like Mayflower, the turkey rescued from slaughter right before Thanksgiving. Parents can have their children work on studying key vocabulary words and responding to questions that encourage literal, inferential, and evaluative thinking so academic skills can develop while students develop greater empathy and compassion too. As a teacher, I've always found that talking about real-life rescues really engages young people, and it allows them to start learning about what really happens to animals in a gentle, age-appropriate way, because it's important for students to know why animals have to be rescued in the first place. And the rescue stories we share have happy endings, so they're uplifting and empowering for children. Another lesson that um, is really engaging is called Sheldon, Here's a Squeak. And it tells the story of a compassionate boy named Sheldon who speaks up for all sentient beings, in this case, a mouse. And it includes a script for a reader's theater and directions for how to make a shadow theater with puppets at home with easy to find materials. And it's fun and engaging. Uh, It's a fun and engaging project for young learners that can help them develop reading skills, language fluency and empathy all at the same time. And since the language we use directly influences how we think and act, 
Many of TeachKind's materials highlight the importance of choosing words that are inclusive and respectful of everyone, no matter their species. So for example, our lesson on nouns teaches students that animals don't belong in the thing category that includes inanimate objects. So we encourage teachers who are teaching about nouns to be more inclusive in, in how they do it. And also many of your listeners probably remember our wildly popular animal-friendly idioms <laughs> that inspire children to, children to replace harmful animal phrases like kill two birds with one stone, more than one way to skin a cat, with compassionate ones like feed two birds with one scone, and more than one way to peel a potato. So parents and children can view the idioms and discuss the importance of choosing language that's inclusive and respectful of everyone, no matter the species. And they might even be inspired to come up with some animal-friendly versions of their own. I just also wanted to mention that our lessons address common core standards as well. So whether you're a school teacher, teaching in, a, in the classroom virtually, uh, in the classroom or virtually, or a parent homeschooling your child, you can be confident that using our resources can help students work towards fulfilling academic expectations as well. And just one more thing, I just want to plug that we have a new social justice curriculum coming out soon for grades 9 to 12 called Challenging Assumptions, so be on the lookout for this. It helps students make connections between different types of prejudice and discrimination, including toward other animals. Those are all amazing sounding resources. I, I can't wait to check some of those out myself. It kind of makes me want to have kids so that I could teach them this. But I have to say, I, I used to teach kids French, actually. And I just, I love teaching youth because, and, and very young children as well, because I feel like that they do have the capacity just to absorb and really understand more information than we perhaps do as as adults. And, and I love what you spoke of as well as to educating young children when they're young, you know, when when people are kids about how language is used and perhaps abused starting from a young age. And we've done some shows on how language and animal idioms are used. If uh, people want to check that out on our podcast at animalvoices.org. So as a school teacher yourself, you have implemented humane education in the classroom. I wonder if you can tell us some examples of how this kind of teaching affected your students. Sure, I'd love to share some personal stories. So I was a teacher in the Bronx, New York, for 12 years, and throughout my teaching career, I've seen how incorporating animal issues into the curriculum can foster pro-social behavior, which is so important these days. I've had apathetic students with difficult behavioral issues become the fiercest protectors of animals, which then led, led to more empathy for their peers. I had a kindergartner one year who had a tough home life. His father had been incarcerated. His mother was away a lot. So he took his frustrations out on the other kids. But his natural love for animals shined through his tough exterior. I remember once he had the whole class watching and protecting an army of ants at a school picnic. Now I would need to remind him pretty regularly that his compassion for animals can carry over to having compassion for his peers. And even at that young age, he started to get it. There were times when I saw him really think about my reminders and go a different route with his behavior. So I always encourage teachers to think about their student with the most challenging behavior and find out which animal they're most interested in. That will be how you can connect with them. So don't give up. I've also seen how humane education can help students academically. I've witnessed reluctant readers turn into voracious ones after learning about the plight of animals. I remember having an after-school animal club, which by the way, always had a waiting list of many students who wanted to join. 
Uh, and I had a fourth grader who hated reading, avoided reading at all costs, and she was frustrated because she was below grade level in reading. Once she learned that dogs, cats, and other animals were suffering and needing help, she became so motivated she couldn't get her hands on enough books about animals. Her classroom teacher was so thrilled at this development that she would allow her to come to my classroom in the middle of the day just to show me what new books she had found in the classroom library. <laughs> now, one last very poignant story I'd like to share is about when I showed a video of a puppy mill rescue to a class of fifth graders. It showed images like rescuers using tools to cut open the cages because they had rusted shut. So it was very moving footage. So after the video, a boy raised his hand to joke about how another boy in the class cried during the video. And I simply explained that it was okay to cry because it just showed that you're compassionate and caring. As soon as I said this, a bunch of other hands went up to say that they cried too. Now, these were kids who lived in the projects. They had rough lives and they were not used to being able to let their guard down and show their emotions. So when I reflected on what had happened, I realized that we had created a safe space for these children to show their empathy. And that's why humane education is so powerful. It's a win-win for children and animals. Those are absolutely beautiful stories. And that last story is making me cry as well. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, unfortunately, there are a number of kids who, who do express violence to animals. And PETA keeps an updated list of reported incidents in which young people commit acts of cruelty to animals among violence in general. This is something we haven't discussed much before on the show, and I wonder if you can speak more on this issue for our listeners about these incidents of violence and then how humane education, like Teach Kind, can be a useful tool in preventing violence against animals or in general with kids, which then takes them to their adulthood. Sure, yeah. So sadly, when I speak to teachers, administrators, and parents, I find that while many have heard of a few incidents in their own community where kids have abused animals, they're not aware that this abuse is happening in epidemic proportions around the country. Every week, PETA hears disturbing reports of children and teens who have allegedly committed acts of cruelty to animals. And TeachKind, like you said, has taken on the sad task of documenting these reported incidents since 2013. And your listeners should keep in mind that countless more go unreported. Now, descriptions of these incidents and links to their news reports can be found at teachkind.org epidemic. Studies show that children who witness an animal being abused by someone they know are more likely to commit similar acts of cruelty themselves. And research also indicates that instances in which young people witness animal abuse are prevalent and widespread. So what can we do with all this information? Well, if we know that the link between animal abuse and interpersonal violence is well documented by the FBI, and that young people who abuse animals often go on to commit violence against humans, with research showing that 43% of school shooters began by abusing animals, then we can focus on the fact that the opposite of this is also true. When we foster children's empathy for animals, they demonstrate more empathic behavior toward their peers. And I've seen this firsthand throughout my entire teaching career. Now, TeachKind reaches out to the school district in the community where an incident occurred to work with them to implement humane education across the board and prevent future tragedies from occurring. And we've just come out with a guide for schools to help them respond to incidents of cruelty in their school community. Now, 
Unfortunately, many times children's violence toward animals goes unexamined until that aggression is directed towards humans. But research tells us that bullying doesn't apply only to hurting humans. The act of intentionally harming any living feeling being stems from the same dynamics. Animal abuse and bullying both involve an intention and desire to inflict physical, emotional, psychological harm on the victim and a power imbalance where the perpetrator is more powerful than the victim. So as a teacher or parent, you have a significant impact on young people's lives. When young children learn kindness to animals, they take a key step toward rejecting all forms of violence, bullying, and hatred in their adolescence and beyond. And the most effective way to implement humane education is to integrate it into the curriculum daily. Well, thank you for covering that important issue. TeachKind also guides educators on how to teach humane animal biology lessons through digital dissection programs that students can access at home. And there are so many of these resources that I didn't even know about. I saw them on the PETA website. Can you tell us about some of them, please? Sure. So something that we're hoping will fall by the wayside with all the changes in this new school year is the archaic and cruel practice of dissecting animals, many of whom are stolen from their homes and killed. And it has no place in the modern classroom. So with education moving online and with more distance learning and homeschooling, now is the perfect time to eliminate animal dissection entirely and replace it with superior non-animal digital teaching methods that are available. Dissecting animals is not relevant or necessary. It's not expected or required of incoming medical students, and it's not used to train doctors. So clearly there's no reason for young students to cut open animals. Today's modern science teaching tools include interactive digital dissection software for almost every species in the animal kingdom, virtual and augmented reality lessons, even hands-on dissectable models. These tools are humane and effective according to more than 50 peer-reviewed papers. So for example, a software program called eMind has modules on a variety of species from invertebrates to frogs and cats. The online program allows students to virtually dissect, learn internal anatomy, organ systems, and even includes quizzes to measure learning. There are so many great digital resources on the market like Cogent Education, Biosphera, DigiGalaxy. You can go to teachkind.org to learn about lots of other digital dissection resources. That's great. Thank you. And I'll, I'll post a direct link to that page on our website, animalvoices.org. So 2020 is a year that will go down in history. We've already experienced so many changes in life this year, the way that we conduct our daily lives. And our world's children will take the effects of this with them forward. Why do you think that humane and compassionate education is especially important at this time where what kids are experiencing now will shape them into how they become adults? Oh, yes, I definitely agree that 2020 will go down in history, especially now as we navigate these unprecedented times. Children should be encouraged to develop their problem solving skills, be actively aware of their own well-being, and flex their empathy muscles for others, including animals. And with so much going on in the world right now, it's important for kids to know that some things are still within their control, like how they treat others, including animals. These foundational skills can be cultivated by using TeachKind resources in the classroom, virtually, or at home. 
So finally, for both parents and traditional educators listening to this interview who have children from young ages up to grade 12, can you let us know how they can get started with using the Teach Kind program resources, which are all free? Yes, all our lessons, materials, and other resources, as you, as you said, are free. We have a guide at teachkind.org for getting started using our materials, whether you're a traditional educator or a parent. So there you can also search our lesson database according to grade level. And we have lots of back-to-school features on our homepage right now to start the school year off with compassion. Um, I would suggest starting with something simple, like our rescue story sheets. Many of these stories have a video of the rescued animal to go with it. So students can choose their grade level and which story they'd like to read first. So they have some options. And the key thing is to keep, keep things engaging. So I would find out, if you can, what animal the child is interested in and let them research how to help that animal because this is very motivating to them. And if you need any more guidance, don't hesitate to contact us at info at teachkind.org because we're happy to help. Well, thank you, Lizbeth Chiraboga, Program Manager of PETA's Teach Kind Humane Education Program, for coming on the show today to tell us more about the resources offered to teach kids compassion and kindness towards animals during this back-to-school time where the parents are becoming the teachers at home. All of the curriculum is free and can be found at teachkind.org. All of the links to the resources mentioned in this interview, you can find them at animalvoices.org. Have a good day, Lizbeth, and stay safe. Thank you. You as well, Allison. You've been listening to the Animal Voices Radio Show on 100.5 FM Co-op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Please join us for next week's show on Friday, October the 2nd, which is World Day for Farmed Animals. Grace will be producing this show and will feature an interview with the owner of the Vancouver-based business of plant-based charcuterie and dairy alternatives called Living Tree Foods. They'll be speaking about their yummy vegan foods and selling at farmers markets. In fact, upon finding them at livingtreefoods.ca, I see they are selling in my territory tomorrow at the UBC Farm Market from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. So I've put that in my calendar to hopefully visit if it's not pouring rain. Their food looks really yummy. And for next Friday's show, I will be presenting another film review for the Vancouver International Film Festival. This one will be the film entitled My Donkey, My Lover, and I. I think it's a comedy. Remember to go to vif.org, that's V-I-F-F dot org, to see all the festival's movie offerings this year and to buy your tickets. The majority of the films are online. Next week, we will also have programming for World Farmed Animals Day, and it's Gandhi's birthday on October 2nd as well. My favorite Gandhi quote is, The greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated. We here at the Animal Voices show modestly ask you to keep connected with Animal Voices via the World Wide Web. Our past shows can be listened to on our website at animalvoices.org. Our past podcasts are also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play, so you can subscribe to us there and never miss a show. Join our Facebook page and join us on Instagram, both at Animal Voices Vancouver. And if you want to get in touch, let us know how we're doing or send along show segment ideas. You can send us a note on Facebook or send us an email to 
info at animalvoices.org. And yes, we are on Twitter as well. Animal Voices YVR is our Twitter handle. We don't say this too much on Animal Voices, but because I have some time, this is just a friendly reminder that Vancouver Co-op Radio is a volunteer-run nonprofit charity that serves to provide alternative media and give voice to marginalized communities or species who are usually largely unheard. So if you've enjoyed today's programming and wish to see it continue, please feel free to drop us a donation of any amount by going to coopradio.org slash donate to make a secure and tax-deductible monetary contribution there. We do have to raise funds to keep the show running on the air, and we appreciate any amount that you are able to afford. This is Commercial Free Radio, and we run through our listener support. To close the show today, we are playing a rendition of a beautiful Nordic lullaby that I found called The Wolf Song. This version is performed by Jana Yinton. Stay tuned next for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thank you so much for listening to Animal Voices today. Stay safe inside and remember to be kind to the animals.
Bye. 